welcome into the Cougar Tailgate, where BYU fandom lives. Here's your host, Cole Wissinger. Good morning, Cougar fans. I hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving, full of turkey and full of football, as all Thanksgivings should be. And just in case you didn't get your fill of football earlier... We've got a little uh, dessert for you, I think, today. The Cougars are taking on the San Diego State Aztecs tonight, and we are getting you ready for it. We've got a member of the San Diego State broadcast team, John Schaefer, to give us a little bit of that history and tradition of San Diego State like we like to do every single week. Terry's on the program, as he always is. We're going to talk about the many players and coaches that have rolled through the San Diego State program through the years. And also, it's the final game of the season. We're going to take a look back at the highs and the lows of the season as you heard it here on the Cougar Tailgate. I'm looking forward to it, but we got to start off with a recap of the Cougars game last week. Deep and fire deep. He's got Shumway open down the middle of the field. Town makes the catch at the five. Into the end zone he goes. Touchdown, Cougars! And it was an amazing day for the whole Cougar offense, especially senior receiver Talon Shumway pulling in a catch right there. After being forced into a three and out on the opening drive of the game against one of the worst defenses that has maybe ever been in college football, Zach Wilson and company turned it around. They scored a touchdown on the next seven drives. In fact, they set a school record with 42 points in the second quarter alone. If you do a little math to that, that means they were on pace for 168 points for the entire game. Now, they, they didn't quite get there, but it was an impressive, impressive performance nonetheless. During that streak of seven consecutive touchdown drives, the Cougars spread it around. Lopini Katoa, Aleva Hifo, and Jackson McChesney each had a touchdown on the ground. That's three. Going to do a little more math. And then Zach Wilson added four more touchdowns through the air, finding Katoa, Talon Shumway, which you heard, Tyler Algier and Gunnar Romney. The BYU defense was also stout throughout the entire first half as they shut out the Minutemen. They were also able to force a couple turnovers with J.J. Nwigwe getting an interception, and Diane Gunwoloku came up with a fumble recovery. He is now the Cougars' all-time career leader in fumbles recovered. All in all, pretty amazing first half for the Cougars as they went into the locker room leading 49-0 and had the game... All but decided. Straight stretch handoff to McChesney. Good burst by Jackson to the second level. He's bouncing off tacklers to the 30, to the 20. He'll take it to the house. 10-5 touchdown. Jackson McChesney, 44-yard touchdown run. That was Jackson's first half touchdown. He added another rushing touchdown in the second half. And honestly, we could have picked just so many highlights from this game. After the great first half they had, Kalani sat most of the starters in the second and allowed some other guys to get a few reps. As such, BYU wasn't quite as sharp in the second half, but they were still able to comfortably hold on to the lead and leave Amherst with a 56-24 victory. Zach Wilson ended the day with 17 of 20 for 293 yards and four touchdowns. He appeared to have shaken off whatever rust we might have thought was there last week. Shumway, like we mentioned, led all receivers with four catches at 92 yards and that touchdown. And then there's the freshman. Jackson McChesney had a huge day on the ground with 228 rushing yards and two touchdowns. The Cougars clinched a winning record on the season and have now won five in a row despite that three-game losing skid earlier in the season. 
it was just nice to just show the appreciation to those those fans showing up and man we we love them so much they're, they're awesome they made noise they play they, they cheered their hearts out and it's so much fun to give them give them a win you know and uh and our, our players just really thrive on that they they, they live for it and uh, that's why I'm so happy to be the coach, man. These guys, they get it. They understand the purpose of them playing football at BYU. And, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun when you see them enjoying every part of it. Uh, there's a lot of excitement in that locker room, man. Just that win. Is just, you see a lot of guys just excited about their performance, and they should be really proud of how they played. The Cougars will battle the San Diego State Aztecs in both teams' final regular season game. The Aztecs have lived this season by an impressive defense. They come into this game allowing just over 10 points a game, which is good enough to make them the sixth best defense in the country. And that defense helped them jump off to a hot 7-1 and start on the season, but they've cooled off as of late and dropped two of the last three. Last week, for example, they had that long trip to the Aloha State and lost to the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Hawaii got off to an early lead with a touchdown in the first quarter, and that score just remained 7 to nothing throughout most of the first half until San Diego State finally got onto the scoreboard with a field goal right before halftime to make it a 7-3 game. The Rainbow Warriors then put together a 96-yard touchdown drive in the third to extend their lead to 11. San Diego State responded with a touchdown of their own on the ensuing drive and added a two-point conversion to that to cut the lead down to just three points. A field goal would do it. After a few punts, San Diego State got the ball back with just under two minutes to go and a chance to tie the game or take the lead. The Aztecs got together a decent drive, but they had to settle for a long field goal attempt with eight seconds remaining. It sailed wide right. Final score, 14-11. to The defense did its job, held Hawaii to only two touchdowns, but the offense once again struggled. Senior quarterback Ryan Agnew ended the day 25 of 39 for 229 yards and a rushing touchdown, but the Aztecs didn't have quite as much success on the ground. They only ended the game with 87 rushing yards as an entire team. The game was also a de facto play-in game for the Mountain West Championship. Hawaii, the winners there, will face off against 10-1 Boise State. Cougar fans, you know where that one in the loss column comes from, don't you? When we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about Aztec football with a local radio personality from San Diego. That's coming next. Did you know in the 60s, the Aztecs won three straight small college national championships, the precursor to today's NCAA Division II? Conference rivalry is renewed. You're listening to the Cougar Tailgate. I'm Cole Wissinger. And right now you're you're actually listening to the San Diego State Fight Song. And listening to the Fight Song means it is time to learn a little bit more about the history and traditions of the Cougars' foe. And to do that, we've got John Schaefer. He's a part of the radio broadcast team for the Aztecs. He's also on the radio daily with his own show about San Diego sports. So this whole radio thing is nothing new. Welcome into the Cougar Tailgate, John. All right, thanks for having me. All right, and tell us a little bit about yourself, if you will. What teams did you grow up rooting for, and how long have you been doing what you're doing? 
Well, I've been working on Aztec football broadcast for each of the last three seasons, but I'm actually originally an East Coast guy from Philadelphia and moved out west to San Diego three years ago. Um, so I actually grew up a, a Philadelphia guy. All the Philadelphia professional sports teams uh, went to college actually in central Pennsylvania, Penn State. Right I'm on. A college football fan. So uh, just a passionate college football fan, and it's been a, a joy working out west here, um, enjoying athletics from out west, and really watching San Diego State the last three years because I've had some pretty good teams. So you missed out on the old BYU Mountain West days, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was not there for 52-52. These teams have already met uh, on the hardwood already this year as well. Um, just as a general college basketball fan, um, what do you remember about Kawhi? playing for San Diego State? Well, a couple of things. I did call that game. I called the game in Provo a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the primary voice of the Aztecs, Ted Lightner, the legendary voice of the Padres and Aztecs, was uh, doing a football game that day. So I called uh, the San Diego State game in Provo. What, what a great atmosphere that was. What a great building that is. Um, and it was a really great game. That was a back-and-forth game. And, um, you know, San Diego State has played uh, BYU well now in basketball the last handful of times they've played. But there's no question. I mean, I think that the best Mountain West basketball we've seen probably uh, over the years was when BYU and San Diego State squared off in, uh, I think, that 2010-11 season when you had a 20-0 yep. San Diego State team at the Marriott Center against a, I believe, an 18-1, number nine-ranked BYU team. Of course, we know Jimmer uh, won that day. Then they won at Viejas in San Diego a couple of weeks later. Eventually, Kawhi and the Aztecs get the last laugh for the Mountain West Championship. I mean, you're talking about incredible basketball. Those were two of the best teams in America uh, back in 2010-11. Um, I think a lot of people want to see that those games continue to be played. That's probably why this series has popped up in football and popped up in basketball. This is probably good uh, for BYU and San Diego State to be playing each other. And we'll see if that continues down the road. But obviously, the football games have been some uh, you know, iconic football games like that 1991-52-52 tie and, of course, like the 2010-11 season with those three games that were uh, – uh, maybe the best three Mountain West basketball games in the history of the conference. And and over on the gridiron, BYU's kind of missed out since we've gone independent, you know, picking and choosing where the rivalries are at. But what what would you say is San Diego State's biggest rival on the field? Yeah, I think Fresno State. Uh, there's a trophy for the Fresno State football game. The game Ooh, what's it called? Of time. Uh, the old oil can trophy. Nice. So they play for the old oil can. Uh, the game's been played dozens of times. San Diego State actually just won that game just over a week ago in San Diego. Fresno State had won the last two, um, and it kind of spoiled a couple of, of uh, opportunities for San Diego State during those two seasons. So it is, it's a good, heated rivalry on the football field and, and specifically on the basketball court as well, because Fresno State's head coach right now is a long-time Steve Fisher assistant in Justin Hudson. So he's a young head coach at Fresno State, a former Steve Fisher assistant. Brian Dutcher is the current head coach of the United States basketball team. He's done a great job in three seasons. Um, so there's a, there's a long um, series history, uh, unquestionably, between the Bulldogs and the I love those weird little connections that you get to in, in the rivalry games or in, you know, when you have some regional teams as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting, and I don't, I don't know what the BYU fan base feels about independence. I'm not sure what they feel about you know, the time of the Mountain West or, or how it varies based on sports. I know independence is football and obviously not uh, any other sports like men's basketball. But I, I think there is something to be said about penciling someone in every year on your schedule. You know, I, the, even when you when you think about, um, you know, another game which has been independent for forever, but right. you know you're getting Stanford, you know you're getting USC, you know you're getting Army, you know you're getting Navy. So well, I think there 
are some merits, and I understand um, the independent structure at times. I also think there's something to be said about establish, establishing something and playing it just forever, you know, in perpetuity. It's one thing to have a good game against the University of Miami, but, you know, if you don't play it for 25 years, it's hard to establish something. So, me personally, I, I like the fact that you can establish rivalries within a conference. That, that's my take. I don't know how BYU fans feel or Notre Dame fans feel, but um, that, that's my I mean, if, if you ask around, there's certainly different opinions about how independence has gone, but you nailed one of the things. It, uh, it just doesn't lock in that guaranteed rivalry game. We do try to play Utah and Utah State, mm-hmm. now kind of Boise State as well, getting over to your Mountain West every single year, but but something might come up, and things have come up in the Utah rivalry where I remember, especially in basketball, there was a big to-do when Utah said they just weren't going to play us anymore, and, and BYU got, fans got riled up for a little bit, and Honestly, in the long run, it just helped to fuel the rivalry. But Right, right. And you know, it's a good point. I mean, BYU has those built-in rivalries within the state, unquestionably. And, of course, the Utah-BYU rivalry uh, is a significant one. Um, you, you know, obviously moving forward, despite the fact that Utah is in the Pac-12 and BYU is independent in football. So, yeah, you can make arguments both ways. Um, and I, you know, from a scheduling perspective, there's, there's all kinds of challenges uh, mm-hmm. from a geographic perspective, playing different games. But... Um, you know, whoever makes those decisions, I'm sure they have a reason why that you know they're in conferences or out of conferences. That's for sure. Yeah, I know what I, I wouldn't know what decisions I would make if they were mine, but they they aren't. <laughs> so getting over exactly. getting over to San Diego State, um, could you tell us a little bit about the history of the program? How did they come to be the Mountain West power that they are right now? Well, Rocky Long, I mean, the head coach of San Diego State right now, has been there for the last nine seasons, is. Um, you know, he has really taken this program to new heights. Uh, he's a defensive mastermind, a longtime head coach of the Mountain West at the University of New Mexico, um, one of really the creators of, of the defense that he uh, uses in, in San Diego with the Aztecs. The three three five defense has just been perplexing for opponents over the years. He's got one of the best defenses in America this year, and he typically does. So Rocky Long has really taken the program to new heights. Before Rocky Long, there was Brady Hoke for a couple of seasons. Rocky was on his staff. Brady left for the University of Michigan. Brady is now back as the defensive line coach for San Diego State. So they've got brilliant defensive minds. Yeah. And, they've, you know, and, and on the offensive side of the ball, you look at what they've done recently, and you go back a couple of years to someone like Rashad Penny, the tailback that was a first-round pick in Seattle. Before that, Donnell Pumphrey, DJ Pumphrey, the nation's all-time career rushing leader, uh, played at San Diego State you know, here in the last four seasons. So mm-hmm. they've been able to do this with running the football, controlling the clock, winning turnover battles. You know, it's not sexy or flashy, but they win a lot of games, 20-10 to 10 or 17-7. They're in every single game because of their defense, and that's a credit to Rocky. So um, San Diego State's program is probably on the best footing. It's been on in 40 or 50 years. And, uh, yeah, what has occurred is they've become, you know, really a preeminent program within the Mountain West. You mentioned a couple of the recent names to have passed through the program, but long-term history, what are some of the, the NFL guys that we might recognize that we didn't know went to San Diego State? Well, Marshall Falk finished second in the Heisman. <laughs> uh, I believe it was 5-5-1 five, five San Diego State team. I believe that was their final record. And oh. I want to say uh, Marshall Falk absolutely played uh, in games against BYU in that series and, you know, one of the you know, a Hall of Fame running back out of San Diego State. So, to some extent, it's a little bit of an RBU when you look at what they've done historically with the Falk, what they've done recently with the Rashad Penny, who finished fifth in the Heisman voting in 2017. I don't think a lot of people realize that. 
he led the nation in rushing uh, in 2017 when the Seahawks took him with the uh, the first round pick. But I think Marshall Falk is the name you circle in football. I think Kawhi Leonard uh, is the name you circle in basketball. I and I think Steven Strasburg is the name you circle right now in baseball. All right. He was the uh, Series MVP. So you got Kawhi. The current uh, NBA Falls MVP, at Strasburg, the current uh, Series MVP, both out of San Diego State. And then, so uh, Kawhi leaves Toronto to go to Southern California. Steven Strasburg is a free agent right now, is he not? Do you think the Padres have a chance? Yeah, <laughs> Cross your fingers. Cross your fingers, Cole. Uh, hopefully, I think a lot of people in Southern California are cautiously optimistic. I mean, he had such an incredible year that it would take a pretty penny. He was already owning a lot in D.C., um, you know, I think there's a good chance he goes back after winning the World Series. He has spent his entire career there. He's right. loyal. He played for Tony Gwynn. I didn't mention Tony Gwynn. I mean, but the most yeah. iconic athlete in the history of San Diego State University is Tony Gwynn, the Hall of Famer who played for the Padres, played mm-hmm. collegiately at San Diego State, was an outstanding basketball player for the Aztecs, by the way. That I didn't know. Steven Strasburg played for, for Gwynn, who was the head coach at San Diego State before passing away. Uh, before his untimely passing due to cancer. So um, Strasburg's a, a loyal guy, a lot like Tony Gwynn was a loyal guy. So is there a chance he comes back west um, where he's from? He's from San Diego? Yeah, there's absolutely that chance, but there's also a chance he goes back to where he's been for the last decade plus uh, with the Nationals organization. See, I just love the homecoming stories, though. I'll root for it for you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I appreciate that. What, what's a unique tradition for San Diego State football on game day that, that goes around, not, not on the field, but that's going around the periphery? It's a great, that's a great atmosphere at San Diego State. Uh, you know, even just, just the, um, there are a lot of traditions when it comes to football. Just the Aztec moniker and nickname, I think, is a unique, you know, nickname within collegiate athletics at this point. Um, and there's a ton. There's a, there's a warrior walk to kick off that they do. Uh, with former athletes uh, that have played at San Diego State. You know, it's not it, – it, they're getting a new stadium in, in San Diego. Uh, San Diego State will on the land where the current stadium is. It's a massive stadium. I mean, this is where the Chargers played. The stadium was built in the 60s. It was expanded for Super Bowls. It's 70,000 people. So it's not conducive necessarily to Mountain West football because even when the Aztecs are having good years, you can have the last nine or ten. It's hard to put. It just kind of feels California. empty, yeah. Yeah, well, it's depending on the game. I mean, you could put they that game, they put a top 25 Stanford team a couple of years ago, a B team in front of close to 50,000. That same year they played Boise State in front of about 50,000. All right. You know, you can put 40 or 50,000 people in there, and, you know, it's not going to be full because it's a 70,000 team stadium. But they'll have a right, stadium right. in the next couple of years, which will be a great college football venue, which I think will really help them. Um, but, you know, they, they do a lot, considering the facility they play in is about 60 years old. I think they've done more with less in terms of on-field winning than anyone in San Diego could really ask for. Yeah, and I was going to ask, the the Chargers leave, you know, for whatever reasons, but sort of because of the stadium, right? Um, and then I look up, you know, as I'm doing my research for the show, it turns out the Aztecs are still playing there, so old Jack Murphy can't be that bad. No, you know, it's, it's congi- I mean, you can, you know, it's... Um, you know, it's usable certainly, but it's not conducive. It's not conducive to modern day college football as you move forward. And San Diego State, sensing that, um, has the opportunity with the city of San Diego to purchase that same land. They will build a stadium, kind of um, not where the stadium sits right now, but right next to it, essentially. And then the, the old stadium will be knocked down. But they're going to build a modern, uh, you know, 
35,000-seat college football stadium that will be used for all kinds of other sporting events, collegiately and professionally, pro soccer, concerts, you name it. I mean, you know, the climate here, you know, is is amongst the best climates in the world, so they can use it 350 days a year if they need to. So I think building a new stadium will help in recruiting. Uh, It'll help San Diego State University financially and can only be good for the football program and the university moving forward. I look forward to the Cougs visiting that stadium in the future. The Cougs have been to uh, to Jack Murphy, to Qualcomm, uh, what's it called nowadays, San Diego something? SACCU. Yeah. Um, they've, they've played a couple poinsettia bowls there. We know where we're going for our bowl game. That's one of the, I guess, advantages of independence. Um, but San Diego State is the eighth and possibly ninth. We are rooting for Liberty also. Uh, Bowl-eligible team that the Cougs have faced this season. Do you guys have an idea where you're going to be bowling in a couple weeks? No, not yet. I mean, the Mountain West has a handful of tie-ins. I think actually they, they might have six tie-ins, and that might be moving to seven, or it's going from five to six in the next bowl cycle. But there's a couple of options out there for San Diego State. Um, if some of the tie-ins would be, you know, there's the Hawaii Bowl, uh, which BYU, like you know, is heading out there. Right. There's, um, you know, Potato Bowl in Idaho, Arizona Bowl, New Mexico Bowl. Vegas will go to the Mountain West champion. But there's some options. I would say a little bit cheesy bowl. Has been thrown out the, there. The so Cheez-Its? Wait, probably, what? <laughs> Where's the Cheez-Its Bowl the Cheez-It at? Bowl. Uh, the Cheez-Its Bowl is in Phoenix, I believe. Okay. And I think that's if the conference can't fill the uh, alliance. It's usually Power 5 versus Power 5, but uh, I've seen a number of projections that have San Diego State in that game. I gotcha. Well, um, good luck to you wherever you go, at least after today. The last question I always ask before I let you go is, what do you think fans can look forward to tonight in this game? Very close game. Every game San Diego State plays seemingly is close. I think it'll be physical, hard fought. Whoever wins the turnover battle likely wins the game. San Diego State, their last 33 games, they win it. They are 31-2. and two. The only two losses have been the last two times they played the University of Hawaii, so... I think it's a ball control type game. I think it will be low scoring, and I think the team that makes the fewest mistakes wins it. You can hear John Schaefer as a part of the Aztecs broadcast team tonight. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Paul. Enjoy it. Coming up next, Terry South and I will take a closer look at all of the great NFL players and coaches that have passed through the San Diego State program over the years. Don't go away. Did you know John Madden, Sean Payton, and Joe Gibbs were all one-time assistant coaches at San Diego State? Don Coriel was the head coach there before revolutionizing the NFL passing game down the street as a coordinator for the San Diego Chargers. into the Cougar Tailgate. I'm Cole Wissinger. Every week, as we try to let you get to know a little bit more about the opponent that we're facing, uh, Terry South brings some did-you-know, some fun factoids to it. Um, We limit ourselves to just, you know, a a few during each show, uh, most of them involving some former players or former coaches, and we have that in this show as well, but there was some more that we wanted to talk about when it comes to San Diego State, because especially... 
uh, the stories behind a couple of these players and coaches. Yeah, the the Aztecs, um, growing up, BYU was in the same conference with the Aztecs, Mount right? West. So you had, uh, well, that, and they were in the WAC. In the WAC, probably, too. Yeah. And they had some crazy games. Well, see, I was growing up, it was the Mountain West. You were yeah, growing up. Yeah, I'm a little, little older. A generation. I remember staying up, because the games would start a little later, and they'd score, like, 40, 50, 60 points apiece. Just some crazy video game thing that would run before Sports Center and... <laughs> And there's no defense, but you know, whatever, it's fine. You're just scoring touchdowns fun left to watch. and right. And it was fun to watch. And uh, along the way, you, you run, they had some really good players that went on to the NFL. And um, so you got like uh, Marshall Falk, right? He was the running back for the, uh, the Colts and the Rams, seven time Pro Bowler. And in the Hall of Fame, he was he was a monster to try to stop. I definitely he, recognize that name. John Schaefer, who's on their broadcast team, I spoke to, he brought up Marshall Falk's name. But he didn't bring up anyone else. And we know that there's a few more. Right. But he, Marshall Falk is like the guy. Yeah. He's the guy everyone knows, sense. right? He's the... He's, he's the Hall of Famer on the right. list, too. Um, there's Dan McGuire. I remember him because uh, there's a video game I have, or used to have, Tecmo Super Bowl. Of course. And he That's would, the Bo Jackson video game, right? It is. Yeah, he okay. was the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. It, they were brutal. Uh, <laughs> you would He would throw the football, and it would it, it was like the football had helium in it. It would just float. Right? Sad. The ball would just go off the screen. You're like, where is this going? Where did I just throw that football to? It was one of the worst quarterbacks you could play with. But that was Dan McGuire. His brother? Mark Mark McGu- McGuire. No way. Yeah. So that's if, the one McGuire I know in sports. So I'm glad that that was the yeah. one you're talking about. <laughs> um, now is it Kasim Osgood? Yeah, Remember that I recognize name? that name. He's, He's a, a he was a kick returner for the San Diego Chargers when I was in middle school or right, high school. Right. So he was a three time Pro Bowl wide receiver. Probably more. The, the kick return was really I what he so. was known for. Uh, there's one Fred Dreyer. That name I don't know. He was. Uh, he played defensive end for the Giants and the Rams, uh, but he was no, most known for being a TV actor. And there was a TV show that aired when I was a kid called Hunter. Okay. And that was like the last name of the detective He when he went out and solved crimes. And he was a no-nonsense. It was kind of just your cookie-cutter thing. But my uncle went to high school with him and was always like, yeah, I don't know if you really deserve being an actor cuz it really wasn't like he always had something to say about his acting career. It was really funny. See, that um, goes in if if I'd known that they had that connection, we could have done this whole segment just on right. former football players that became actors like OJ Simpson oh, yeah. or there's Jim Brown in the Dirty Dozen, Merlin Olson was in all kinds of stuff. He was an old football player at Utah State uh, before he went on to play for the Rams. But you watch the show, it, it's on those um there's a bunch of networks now that show like 80s reruns. Yeah. He's on there. You can see it on Me there. Me TV. Me or TV, that it kind is. of thing. Get it for There's free. Kind of the n- new invention of uh, Nick at Night. <laughs> <laughs> Just not as good. Uh, Ronnie Hillman, running back for the Broncos. A lot of these names I know from that video game when I played as a kid. Sure. Because you'd see them all the time as they, 
well. Cycle on through. Yeah. Um, who else is on this? Uh, you got to say this one. It's the uh, defensive end for the Green Bay Packers. Kabir. Kabir Gabajabilamila. Yeah, there you go. They Not to be him... confused with his brother, Akbar Gabajabilamila, who was a defensive end for the Raiders and now the broadcaster of Wipeout, I think, on television. One of those oh, like Ninja really? Warrior looking That's things. him? Okay. That's Akbar, who's Kabir's brother uh, Kabir went to San Diego State Akbar apparently not so Kabir defensive end for the Green Bay Packers drafted in 2000 inducted later into their Hall of Fame that's how he impacted that franchise they called him KGB because no one could say his name and that's all I remember is KGB <laughs> it was just kind of a, it worked it was good so uh, there's a few of the the players that they've had they've uh, they've had some impact that way another place they've had impact in the NFL is in coaching yeah, and that's that's what you don't see as often. And this was this was what caught my eye whenever I was looking down through just the history of San Diego State Athletics cuz you talk about video games enough and the name John Madden right. should probably come to mind first. And he was an assistant coach before he coached the Raiders and won a couple Super Bowls and became famous for his laser-focused analysis in the broadcast booth and making video games. Laser-focused analysis? Like Boom. Oh, and right. If you score more points, you'll win. Yeah. And it's like, really? other maddenisms. It wasn't really that focused. It was His kinda, love for yeah. Brett Favre, I think, was pretty Mol- apparent. Oh, yeah. That was a bias. <laughs> but he was, he was an Aztec's assistant coach before yeah. making that jump. Other uh, coaches, uh, Joe Gibbs. He's a Hall of Fame uh, Washington Redskins head coach. Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three entirely wildly different Washington Redskins teams. He was an Aztec player and an assistant coach, and he's been a team owner in NASCAR for years. That's when you get old and you retire finally for the 15th time from the NFL. Right. you got to just own some NASCAR. (laughs) Own some NASCAR. Actually, his teams are pretty good. Um, Don Coriel. He's, he was a uh, head coach of the Chargers for a long time. He was also an Aztecs head coach. And when he was – this is the guy really that revolutionized passing football. The NFL today is very, very pass-focused. Quarterbacks mm-hmm. are the stars. That trace, traces back probably most directly to Don Coriel's Air Coriel offense oh, yeah. in the late 70s and early 80s with Dan Fouts and the San Diego Chargers. Ted Tolner. He's a current assistant at the Oakland Raiders. He was an assistant for a bunch of teams. Uh, Herm Edwards is a name you know, former Aztecs player. He's an NFL head coach for the Jets and the Chiefs. And is he still on TV somewhere? He is now the Arizona State Oh, that's head right. Coach. I forgot he's the Arizona State Talk about coach. laser-focused analysis. Herm yeah. taught me that you do, in fact, play to win You play to game. win the game. That's right. John Fox, he was a coach of the Bears. The Panthers took the Panthers to the, the Super Broncos. Bowl. Broncos. He, he played at San Diego State. He's now, I think, he's a ESPN analyst on their NFL Live show. Yeah, I, think I saw him today talking about what kind of turkey he likes. I think Brian Billick hangs out with the NFL Network crew as well. And Billick's over there. He also was a San Diego State guy. He was. Uh, Tom Cable's an Oakland Raider. I'm not sure how successful he was as a head not. coach. That was the like late aught <laughs> Raiders. Uh, Sean Payton. He's the coach of uh, the New Orleans Saints. Definitely know that name. Another was, Super Bowl uh, guy. What? He was a running backs coach and an, an offensive assistants coach there. Um, You'd think I would so, yeah. know a little bit more about San Diego State Athletics if all these guys that had wild success in the NFL were at some point coaching. 
right. San Diego State. It's just what? kind of a footnote, not really something people talk about. Yeah, Sean, if Sean Payton is the genius, and he is, that has turned the Saints into this dynasty and made Drew Brees statistically one of the mm-hmm. greatest quarterbacks that's ever played football ever— what was what was happening at San Diego State when Sean Payton was trying to like draw things up and I don't know it wasn't happening. <laughs> but it, it goes to prove that that sometimes it's it's the connections and it's the the synergy between all of the staff that right. kind of makes the success, which which makes it fun to look at some of the coaching staffs that have assembled all at the same time, or the assistants that have branched off from one specific right. guy, or if you see coaches that start out. You know, they're at one place, they're successful, and they move to another place and they find success. Mm-hmm. It's something about that coach. Yeah. Right? So you got Andy Reid, right? He goes Former from- BYU guy. Goes from Philadelphia, goes to the Super Bowl, has success there and everything. Then he goes to Kansas City and finds more success. And it comes from bringing in the right kind of assistants, bringing in the right kind of players, trying to create some sort of a, as you're saying, like kind of a synergy between all those different elements to make it work. And someone has to be in charge and run all that. And it seems like Andy Reid knows what he's doing. He seems to have that. a good hold of that, right? And you start looking at his coaching tree. You always hear about coaching trees. Who are the assistants that have come out of uh, you know, being a, an assistant to a specific head coach and then moved on to greater success? And you start looking at, at uh, Andy Reid's coaching tree. And there's so many coaches that are there's- current. Ten, as a matter of fact, There's that have gone from that, being assistants yeah. to Andy Reid to being head coaches, which is the most of any guy. Andy Reid, a former BYU guy. Good job to the Cougars. So current, you have John Harbaugh, the Ravens head coach. Super um, Bowl winner. Ron uh, Rivera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From Super the Carolina Bowl Panthers. Coach. Um, I think he lost actually here? John Fox's Denver Broncos right. in the Super Bowls. So Pat, Pat Schumer from the Browns, Eagles, and currently the Giants. He's a head coach. He was a head coach all of those places yes. as well. Doug Peterson, the Philadelphia Eagles head coach right now. Super Bowl. Sean McDermott, Buffalo Bills head coach. And Matt Nagy, the uh, Chicago Bears current head coach. All of them were assistants to Andy Reid. Nagy, uh, coach of the year as well. Just last year. In, yeah, in his very first year coaching the Bears, one coach of the year. And then you got uh, Brad Childress. He's not currently a head coach, but he was uh, one of Andy Reid's assistants. You also have... Uh, Steve Spagnolo, mm-hmm. is he coaching anywhere? Is he in a, is he in a defensive coach somewhere? So I remember I heard he someone was, criticizing him the other day. <laughs> so he was the Rams coach, I think, if I'm remembering right. The Rams had this three year stretch, yes, where they won three games and then two games, yes, and then one game, right. I think that was Steve Spagnuolo's three years, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Then they brought in Jeff Fisher, and they skyrocket up to like eight and eight every year. Um, and then they bring in... So it's just interesting that you have... Um, there's certain coaches that they create an atmosphere that just kind of constantly produce quality assistants that go out and become head coaches. Now, where they go from there, that's that's their their destiny. But they came from a guy who can pick personalities that work for him. And those people move on to become someone who somebody else thinks could be a head coach. And Andy Reid is a guy that came on from one of those systems. Mike Holmgren's coaching tree is fantastic as well. And that actually comes from the Bill Walsh, San Francisco 49er, West Coast kind of offense. All of this has its its roots back there. Plenty of guys have had their chances when you go all the way back to the 80s, but you see the success funnels through and and Andy Reid's able to pass it on to the next generation. 
When we come back, we'll reminisce a little bit about the season as it has been so far, leading up to our season finale against San Diego State tonight. This is the Cougar Tailgate. Did you know that the 1980 and 2000 NFL League MVPs both played college ball at San Diego State? Brian Seip, quarterback for the Browns, and Hall of Famer Marshall Falk as a running back for the Rams. go great because of the energy and, and enthusiasm from the student section and they're going to show up this year. It's our year. Welcome back to the Cougar Tailgate. I'm Cole Wissinger and that was an optimistic fan three months ago. It's been three months already that we've been on the air. One whole season in the books, folks. Here before our last game of the regular season, let's take a look back at some of the conversations and highlights from BYU football's 2019 season, as you heard it here on the Cougar Tailgate. I don't know how it came up, but she said, you know, it would be really cool if we had a shirt with, a, with y'all for the South <laughs> with, a, with the Y logo. And we've just been waiting for the right opportunity to kind of deploy it, and so this seemed like it. And we've we've sold about fifteen hundred of them for the game, and we've just ordered a bunch more that were shipped in today to sell at the tailgate. Wow! We'll send you one, Lauren. We'll send you one. Oh, I would love it. I love those. Um, I've I've just seen them on social media, and I'm like, I gotta get my hands on one of those. When he got here, you know, four years ago, his family said he's gonna go by Buckshot, and we're like, okay, if that's what your wishes are, but. Uh, his dad is a huge NASCAR fan, and uh, way back in the day, one of his favorite racers was Buckshot Jones. Huh. And so he said, whenever I have a, a, a son, preferably, I guess, hopefully, I'm going to name him Buckshot. And the wife said no. As He's they do. Steven. And as a concession, the dad said, okay, you can have the wishes of the first name, but let me have the wishes of the middle name. And the mom said, sure. I, I've been lucky enough to interview a lot of what's cool about USC is, is how many great athletes there are outside of just football. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've, I've had the uh, opportunity to interview people that have gone on to win Olympic gold medals and win tennis majors and, you know, all, all, you know obviously some great basketball players too. They have very good chicken wings. Uh, <laughs> if you're looking for pizza by the slice, downtown in, in Amherst is a place called Antonio's, which wins like, Best Pizza in the State awards on a fairly regular basis with a lot of a lot of creative uh, a lot of creative toppings and things. You've piqued um, my interest. Yes, <laughs> you know it's, it's it's really good. It it absolutely is. Now we'll head out to the West Coast, where the Beavers of Oregon State take on the Ducks of Oregon in an in-state battle dubbed the Civil War. In 1959, a University of Oregon staffer won a more than ordinary trophy for what is certainly a more than ordinary game each year. So he decided to make a mascot-inspired trophy. What do you get when you mix a beaver and a duck? A platypus. Sadly, the beautifully carved maple platypus was repeatedly stolen in those early years and actually got lost for about 20 years until William Spady, the artist who carved the platypus, saw it in the trophy case at Oregon's pool in 1986. Which of the following Washington quarterback greats finished top 10 in Heisman voting? Was it Warren Moon, Marcus Teososopo, or Mark Brunel? Uh, Brunel. I'm going to say uh, Sopo. I was going to say Brunel, but I'm not guessing the same one. <laughs> it was actually Sopo. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> all right, all right. 
I don't what, know the story. Are you, are you Googling? Uh, I think he's Googling I, something over I there. I, pro- I promise I you I'm not, though I did think about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I thought I thought you were going to give Jake Locker as an option, and I was just going to guess. I would have gone with yeah. that one, too. A sheriff deputy or a police, someone in the that kind of field, and he said, you know, I'm just calling because we're typically supposed to be at any function with tons of adults and in a party atmosphere like this, but we heard that you guys aren't going to have alcohol, and we're just calling to make sure if that's correct because we kind of don't believe it. And I just laughed, and I said, you must not be familiar with Brigham Young, but that is correct. There will not be alcohol at our tailgate. Full disclosure, uh, Rhett and I are in a fantasy football league together uh, because your wife's brother is my former neighbor, which is the kind of weird connection that just kind of happens if you stick around Provo long enough, I think. Uh, so go ahead and brag about your football, your fantasy football team for a second, Rhett. You're doing pretty well, good. I do have the, I have a pretty good team. I have the best kicker in the league, Justin Tucker. He's scoring me like 13 points a week. Do you remember what round you took him in our fantasy draft? Because I do. <laughs> I probably I probably took him like fourth round or something. <laughs> it was the sixth round, which is approximately round. 10 rounds before anyone else was taking kickers. <laughs> I got to give my kickers their due credit. I tell everyone I probably had the best view of Tyson. And in the middle of all that orange, Tyson's, his feet were still moving. So that's when I kind of, I kind of, I kind of paused for a little bit. I was looking at him. And then I just kind of gave a wave, and I was like, oh, he's still moving. So then I kept on waving and waving, and I was like, this guy's going to score. And then that's when I knew, like, and then everyone else was gathered around, and the pile was pushing, and as I saw his, I was re- kind of reading his demeanor. He was he was laying forward, you know, he had both hands on the ball, his feet were just moving, and I just knew he was going to score. Coco Crisp, remember Coco Crisp? Yeah. He was a, a baseball player, right? For the Indians right? at when some he, point. The Oakland A's did a Coco Crisp Chia Pet Day. <laughs> So, I don't know what that looks like, but I imagine they had a custom order for a Chia Pet, which is, of course, you had like either an animal or it later turned into different characters that had their hair kind of growing as a plant. Well, and in his younger days when he was playing for the athletics, it's because he had quite the afro. As they say, a prolific afro. Yes, that's a good description. So that's why the Chia Pet worked. The hat, I mean... Did they have the hat on it as well, and the chia just kind of grew out the sides? Because that's Again, the best Coco no Crisp picture, look. but if you look up Coco Crisp on the athletics, that's the picture you find. We've had a lot of fun talking about the food, fans, and traditions around the game. But now let's listen back at some of the big plays from the Cougars' season on the field. Twins to either side. Snap, Zach. Hand off Tyson to the 5 push, 4 push, 3. Push. Pile is pushing, pushing, yeah. pushing, pushing, pushing. He gets to the he's goal in. line. He's in. No signal. He's in. They mark him short, but he's touchdown, in the end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown. They yeah, signal baby. touchdown. He got in, and the Cougars win. Baylor goes under center with trips to the right. Center snap. Double throw. Simon downfield. Bushman makes the catch. 15 10. He's going to go in. Touchdown. Matt Bushman from Micah Simon from 54. And the first 50-yarder in 13-plus years for BYU. The snap to Livingston low. The kick on its way. It is through for three. Jake Oldroyd has BYU's first field goal of 50-plus yards since October 28, 2006. Jake Oldroyd 
Makes it 24 so to 12. So twins left and twins right for Guadani in the gun. Seymour to his left. Play fake again. And there's, oh, it's a pick off. Same pattern this time. It's picked off. Peyton Wilgar has his second pick of the year. Out to the BYU 46-yard line. And the Cougar offense right back out on the field. Peyton Wilgar with the INT. Love. Settles. Fires to the goal line. He's kept out of the end zone. Didn't get in. Didn't get in. They stop him. Nathan got to the one-half-yard line, and he was forced back. Austin Lee with a touchdown-saving tackle, and the Cougars take over on downs. Great news for BYU. Jackson McChesney back in the game and taking the handoff and busting it out to the right side. Stiff arm to the boundary. There goes Jackson. 40, midfield. 40 of UMass. 30 of UMass. Drag down there. I guess he's okay. I guess he's all right. Keeper for Hall following his blockers. Nicely done. 25-20. 15-10. Makes a sidestep. Makes a man miss. Gets into the end zone. Touchdown run. Jaron Hall. 29-yard touchdown. Scampers 22-14. Cougs with the PAT pending. Trips to the wide right for Slovis in the gun. He claps the hands. Takes a chest high snap. He will throw. Quickly. Battled up and intercepted. Did they get it? If they got it, it's over. It's over. The Cougars picked it off. And in overtime, they won it. That, of course, from the absolutely unforgettable overtime victory over USC. And in our show, when we were talking about the Trojans, we ended up going off on all the different movie stars and TV stars that were graduates of the University of Southern California. And then, of course, Lauren and I started talking about just our favorite sports movies over the years. Now, remember, the Titans was the first that came to our mind. And then we talked about all of these ones. Another based on a true story that I think is normally at the top of people's Rudy football list. It's, it's Rudy. <laughs> of course, it's Sean Astin. It's yeah. It's win one for the Gipper. It's Notre Dame, right? That's very football-y. I know. I mean, we're talking about USC today, and so let's talk a little bit about their rival over there. Totally. Well, also, Sean Astin came to speak. Actually, Sean Astin did not. I totally lied there. The real Rudy came to speak to uh, BYU football a couple years ago. Whoa. And, uh, yeah, he, he's a big fan, man. He he likes BYU football a lot. I guess he had a really good experience here, but the, he kind of came to give them a, a a motivational speech before one of the games, and I heard it was awesome. I wish I could have been there. The motivational speech, I think, is a very important part of the football movie. Rudy's got one of them when the uh, former player turned janitor gets him to turn <laughs> things around and get back there on the mm-hmm. field. Um, any... Any Given Sunday, 1999, with Al Pacino. Kind of a crazy movie. It's stylized almost like you're watching SportsCenter. But the most, the coolest part of it is when Al Pacino is giving a halftime pep-em-up speech to his players, making sure they can get ready to go. I actually have not seen that. I have not seen that. It's it is a it's a weird kind of sports movie because um, the thing that football movies, I think have a harder time doing than basketball and especially boxing is Uh really making you believe that these actors are football players. Right. (laughs) Um, And anyone that's seen a couple football games before can kind of tell that they're acting out there and the the camera doesn't really belong on the field. Any given Sunday, I think, does it the best because it plays Hmm. it like a highlight reel. It gets actual football people out there to do football plays and it looks good doing it. Oh, I I need to look that up. A couple other good ones, I think Invincible with Mark Wahlberg. Oh, yes. The Philadelphia spirit. Yes, classic. It makes every has-been feel like he can make an NFL roster. It is... It is the the perfect motivational speech. As long as they can run like a 4-3-40, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. But I feel like any... Guy in his like mid thirties watching that is like, oh my gosh, that could be me. I still have a chance. I still have a shot. So that's a good one. Uh, Waterboy, you know, <laughs> the classic Waterboy is a great football movie. Um, 
Once again, if you know anything about sports, you'll watch that and be like, they're not playing football. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't <laughs> but matter. But it's funny. Yeah, it doesn't matter in that movie. Yeah, it's great. So if, if Waterboy had to defend Forrest Gump, <laughs> who wins the unstoppable force and the immovable object there? Uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Waterboy. I'm there gonna go know. with uh, Adam Sandler in that. What was his name? What's his name in that movie? Bobby Boucher. Bobby Boucher. That's yeah. right. Mama said. That's right. Bobby Boucher. He 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 has a different level that he goes on. I think he would win. I got another question for you though, Lauren. Okay. What genre does Jerry Maguire fall into? <laughs> I think it's kind of oh, I don't know how you'd describe the genre, but I think it's kind of like a Moneyball okay. type movie. You know what I'm saying? Like it's would you say Moneyball is a baseball movie? You could or you could not. You could say it's about more of the business aspect See, than I'll, actually the sport itself. I'll compare draft day to Moneyball, but okay. for my money, I think Jerry Maguire is just a straight romance that happens to happen while Cooper Gooden Jr. is playing football over on the side. Like, the, yes. the heart of Jerry Maguire is just Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. Uh, and the <laughs> quotes that you know from it are, you had me at hello, and those are typical, like, rom-commy kind of things totally when they actually get out there and he plays football and the the injury that happens at the very end that kind of takes you out of the rest of them i thought the worst part of the movie was when they're actually on the field playing football for the only time despite so many people saying that this is a great football movie right if the football part of your movie is the worst part of the movie it's probably not a football movie yeah i'm right there with you i I actually completely agree with that and also how did we forget friday night lights Ooh. Movie Friday or television show? Well, both, but okay. I think the movie came out first before the TV show. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty good, pretty good movie. Not one of my favorites, but I mean, it's pure, pure drama football. You know what I'm saying? So it is a football movie. Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. <laughs> Thanks for that southern accent, too. Can't <laughs> lose. So whether they're serious sports movies or even the funny football movies, we can all come together and, and Hollywood... And sports and everything can join together in in things that we love. That's right. I love me a good movie and I love me a good football game. The football season is coming to a close, folks. But we do have tonight's game and then a bowl game to go. But here on the Cougar Tailgate, we are going to shift our focus over to the hardwood. It's going to be basketball season. And we are still going to bring you great interviews and conversations about the fan experience and everything going on around the game that we love. We'll keep going strong all the way through basketball season for you, and we've got more to come today when we come back. Did you know, despite the team's nickname, most real-life Aztecs actually lived in Mexico over 1,000 miles from the present-day San Diego? Welcome back into the Cougar Tailgate. I'm Cole Wissinger. Thank you once again to John Schaefer of AM1360 in San Diego, as always to Terry South, and really to everyone that's made the show possible over these three months. Special shout out to Lauren McLean, who helped shape the show into what it is. It was great hearing your voice on the air again. And next week, we'll be introducing a new face or a new voice to the show as well so stay tuned for that basketball season is going to bring us a fun new edition of the show 
I'm looking forward to it. If you missed any of the show today or any of our past episodes, something you heard today in the little best of bit intrigued you, go ahead and subscribe and download the podcasts wherever you get podcasts. Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, we're all over the place. And remember, if you have a fan story you want to share or feedback for the show, you can email us at cougartailgate at gmail.com. We're a production of BYU Radio. My name is Cole Wissinger. Go Cougs! Go Cougs!